Morning. Oh, you guys doing all right? Nice. As uh, Nathaniel said, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It is a joy to be up here. Is it a joy to be uh, hanging out with you and worshiping alongside of you? Uh, if you would uh, do me the favor of uh, joining me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available for you, whether it's to use right now or to take with you. That would be our gift to you. Uh, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at verse 6 through 15, uh, but by way of a brief preface, we're also going to tinker with chapter 8. We'll, we'll look at that as, as we dive into the remainder of our time. And uh, so once again, if you don't have a Bible, pick one up, or you can go to the Back Connect desk and uh, grab a Bible. Uh, if it's quite all right with you, I'd love to dive into our time, uh, because I, I believe it's one of those sermons that is, it can be very dense, uh, and so uh, uh, I don't think it's by coincidence that there is some football game happening today with men running after one another. So with that being said, let's, let's just dive in today to be frank, right? Like, uh, by the way, like if you've been with us for a while, you know, like I don't watch sports. I don't care about football, it's whatever. Anyway, so I always love to take jabs at whoever does like football. Um, with that, to be frank, th this morning, this morning is going to be about uh, us examining uh, generosity as it concerns money. That's right. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to put it on the table. We are talking about money. Now, if those of you who are here, if you are new, you're like, great. I just showed up. It's kind of my first day at Storehouse McAllen. This preacher dude with a big beard. I don't know if he's Mexican or from the Middle East. Homeboy's going to be talking about uh, generosity. He's going to be talking about my money. Now, uh, if that's what you're feeling, that's what my, you might be thinking. Let me kind of give you a couple of things as it pertains to generosity. Uh, and I know many of you love to write notes. This is not that time yet. I'll, I'll tell you when you start writing notes, but let me give you a couple of things as, uh, as it pertains to, to generosity. Number one, many churches do not preach on generosity, specifically money, right? So when I'm equating generosity, we're going to look at money, right? Many churches do not preach on money for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's a very sensitive topic. In my experience, uh, some of the most sensitive topics to preach on tend to be money, sex, and hell, and we preach on all three. Uh, so, so we're going to do that, but nevertheless, some, pre some churches don't preach on those topics because they're sensitive and, and they don't want to kind of step on people's toes and, and, uh, and, and a variety of other reasons. In addition to that, uh, you might have a, a bad experience. Maybe your only uh, perspective or experience or view of Christianity has been uh, a couple of people on TV asking you to send your money so that you can sow your seed and essentially make more. I'm not going to be telling you that today uh, or at all, ever. Um, and so that might be your experience or even your perception of Christianity. On the other side, uh, there are churches and preachers who do uh, talk and preach and teach on money, but they do so incorrectly and poorly, and so they miss the theological consequences uh, or the, the theological uh, concept of, of what it actually means to give generously. And so what we believe about generosity is that God teaches us a great deal about it through his word because money exposes our hearts. 
It exposes our hearts a great deal, and so that's why we're going to preach on it this morning. Uh, We're currently in a sermon series called uh, Our Faithful Pursuit, and essentially what we have been doing has been, we've been talking about uh, the values of our church, of the values of Storehouse McAllen. And so a couple of weeks ago, we started off with identity, that, that who we are begins with what Jesus has done for us. And so who we are informs what we do before we can talk about anything else we must talk about identity. And then we talked about community. And one of the things that happens in community is discipleship so that we would uh, edify one another and grow in our maturity as believers. And so what we said was that discipleship in community breeds maturity. And then last week, we looked at mission and multiplication. Uh, and, And the main idea there was that in the story of God's redemptive purpose, uh, the involvement of the faithful presence and multiplication of his people has always been evident. And now today we're going to be looking at generosity because the truth is money is going to fuel many of our missional efforts. And so we'll talk about that as we go on. So it's no coincidence that we get to talk about it today in light of our values. <clears throat> The early church father, Martin Luther, said this, that there are three conversions that are necessary. He said, is the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the wallet. Now, this sermon isn't one where my goal is to guilt you into giving, but it is one where I hope that the work of Jesus for you would impact how you see and view and use your finances. Because if I'm honest, there is good news and then there is bad news. The good news is that everyone, and I'm talking about everyone in here, everyone is giving. The bad news is that not everyone is giving to the Lord. And so if we are going to see what God says about money and giving, then we need to have and we need to understand one fundamental principle first. This is my main idea. You could say this is my argument for our time today. And here it is. Generous giving does not begin with your wallets, but it begins with belief in the gospel. That is my argument. That is my thesis for our time this morning. Generous giving does not begin with your wallet. It begins with belief in the gospel. And so to further that main idea, because I love numbers, I want to hit you with some statistics on how you and I view money, both in light of the church and even our own personal expenses. And so according to an article released in 2018 by Nonprofit Source, also known as NP Source, here were some of their findings. The first one is that tithers make up of about 10 to 25 percent of a normal congregation. Now, those numbers did catch my attention, but what I think is a little bit more serious is the word normal. You see, in the United States, the average church size on a Sunday morning is about 100 people. 
And so that suggests that about 10 people, 10 to 25 people are carrying the support of the entire church. If we apply it to our context of Storehouse McAllen, we could say that anywhere between 16 to 40 people are carrying the financial support of our church. Additionally, they went on to say that 37% of regular attendees at a local church do not give a cent. The average giving by those who do give, the average giving by adults is $17 a week. That amounts to about $68 a month. <clears throat> Based on income, Christian giving is about 2.5% when we look at stats from 2018, what's kind of nuts is that when you compare it to the Great Depression, giving was actually up to 3.3%. According to James Petty, he is a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. He says giving has dropped by 20% of Christian income since 1968, while our income has increased by 50%. Let's keep going, because I love numbers. According to an article released by USA Today in 2019, the average American spends over $1,400 a month on non-essential items. That rounds out to about $18,000 a year. Now, non-essential items include entertainment, uh, going out to eat, you know, just getting takeout or going out to eat with friends. You can lump that all into entertainment. You can lump that into the gym and the culture of the gym because you got to have the water bottle and you got to have the, the gym bag and the shorts and whatever else you might want to buy. And so the, the average amount is over $1,400 a month on non-essentials. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't spend some money on some gym gear because some of it's pretty sweet. Like you need some lifters if you're going to be doing heavy weights. Like I'm telling you, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out to eat with your friends, stashing some money on the side so that you can go out, right? The original social media, like that's a really good thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't do any of that, okay? What's alarming is the next set of statistics within the same article. Within the same article, it goes on to suggest that 60% of Americans do not have the necessary funds in their savings to cover one month's worth of expenses, When we look at Black Friday and Cyber Monday from 2019, Americans uh, spent an estimated $87 billion in 2019. Okay, now that's $3 billion less than 2018. Here's, here's where I'm trying to get at. Instead of fighting idolatry, we're being consumed by it. We're spending money we don't have to buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't know while we worship something or someone other than God. And so here's the bottom line, okay? The bottom line is that money isn't the problem. Love is. Let me explain. If you and I say that we love God, then we are shaped by that conviction as it applies to us personally and as it applies to how we love others around us. What we love brings ruin or restoration. 
You see, money isn't the problem. Our hearts are the problem. See, if our love is already misplaced and our heart has helped in finding us an idol to worship in order to find happiness or to finally be complete, the problem is that when you and I worship, we are consumed, whether it is for ruin or restoration. You see, money isn't the problem. Idolatry is the problem. Idolatry to you and I is attractive outside of Jesus because it's all about you and your self-glory. It's about, <clears throat> it's about your personal happiness and the pursuit of your pleasure, the pursuit of your comfort, and ultimately the pursuit of your ease. Idol worship involves always sacrifice, whether it's for ruin or restoration. The good news in light of all of this is that there is grace. There is the grace of God that is for you in Christ. The kind of grace that forgives unconditionally. The kind of grace that transforms you daily. The kind of grace that is being poured out onto you continually so that you would be made more like Jesus. And it is not simply for the purpose of giving. It is so that you would orient your worship to the one who has given you everything. And so as we turn to 2 Corinthians now, I want us to look at three categories pertaining generosity. I want us to look at the meaning of generosity. I want us to look at the motivation of generosity. And finally, I want us to look at the means of generosity. And so what I'd like to do right now is read 2 Corinthians 9, and then I'll pray and we'll walk into uh, the remainder of our time. Beginning in verse 6. So what God says to the Apostle Paul. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let me pray. God, as we dive into your word, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be at work in the hearts and minds of everyone here. 
those who know you and those who do not know you. God, I pray that as we uh, examine um, the topic uh, of generosity, that we would approach it with open ears, sound mind, and sound hearts to see what you have to say. And so in light of that, would you set me aside? Would it be you speaking to us through your word? Again, Lord, I pray that this would glorify you in our time of worship together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, I told you at the beginning, we're going to look briefly at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at about two or three verses and then spend the rest of our time in chapter 9. Uh, these are on the notes, so I'll just keep going. Here we go. If we're going to give generously, then we must understand what giving generously means. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, this is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Corinth as they are getting prepped to support other churches who are in need. And so this is what Paul says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. We're going to define giving generously as an act of grace. And the reason we're going to define it as an act of grace is because it is the Christian who ought to understand what grace is. You see, an act of grace begins with God entering into human history uh, as the man Jesus Christ, living a life in our stead, dying in our place, or I should say it this way, dying for sinners who do not deserve his grace. And if you're new and we, we talk about grace a lot, and you're like, I don't know what that means, here's how we would define grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God towards sinners. Unmerited favor from God towards sinners. Let's keep going. An act of grace is God being raised from the dead, ascending into heaven, being seated at the right hand of the Father, and then sending his spirit in truth by implanting it into sinners who still do not deserve his grace, but are being transformed and being made new by it. You see, an act of grace is giving generously and sacrificially because the gospel informs our decisions. Again, it's not the wallet that informs your decisions. It's the gospel that informs our decisions. Where you live, where you don't live, where your kids go to school, why they go to the school that they go to, the kind of things that you buy, the kind of things that you stay away from, how much you give to the church starts what you believe about the gospel and what you know about grace. You see, an act of grace means that the individual is content. The individual is content, and contentment is the result of godliness and humility. 
godliness, that the individual is growing in their maturity, growing uh, as they become more and more like Jesus, as they walk in obedience, humility, not that they think of themselves, uh, not that they think less of themselves, but that they think of themselves less. Contentment is the result of godliness and humility. The opposite of this isn't just discontentment. The opposite of this is pride. And the proud person misunderstands grace because it's a transaction that isn't justifiable. Yet that is the entire point of the gospel. It is that Jesus died for sinners on the cross in their place with his credit. He paid our debt with his credit. It is not a transaction that is justifiable. It doesn't make sense. So the individual who cannot grasp grace as it pertains to generosity won't act upon it. If if your understanding of the gospel does not begin with an act of grace for you, then you're preaching the wrong gospel. And just because you're generous doesn't mean you know what grace is. There are plenty of people and individuals who give generously every day, every year, and don't know the Lord. Generosity isn't about how much you're giving. It's about what you know about this act of grace for you. And so if your understanding of the gospel doesn't begin with that, then you're not preaching the gospel. So once again, the means of generosity, how would we define it? We would define it as an act of grace because it is the Christian that ought to understand what grace is and what grace has done for them. Moving along. The motivation of generosity. So we looked at the means, now let's look at, or the meaning, now let's look at the motivation of generosity. We're still in chapter 8, we're going to look at one more verse and then the rest of our time in chapter (laughs) 9. And so very practically, very simply, I'd like to give you... uh, five principles or five marks of motivation uh, of generosity, of the motivation of generosity. The first one is genuine love. Now, each one of these principles, each one of these marks uh, uh, of generosity, we're going to see not just from Scripture, but we're going to see that they are pulled from our belief in the gospel. Everything starts there. So the first one is genuine love. Uh, once again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. One of the marks of a Christian, of a believer, if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you have surrendered yourself to Jesus, one of the marks of a Christian is love. Love for God and love for others. In addition to that, it is only the Christian who can understand fully what love is. 1 John chapter 4 says, not that we loved, but that God loved us first. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for sinners. You see, upon him taking our sin and giving us his righteousness, he transforms our hearts so that we would be illuminated in our understanding of knowing what love 
is, not the concept of love, not what TV and film say about love, not even what we feel about love. Because when we define love, it is defined as personal, it is defined as specific, and it is defined as sacrificial. That if you belong to Jesus, he died for you personally. He died for you specifically. And he died for you sacrificially. That's not just an emotion. And so as a result, the Christian is the one who understands what love is. So not only does that inform our worship of Jesus, it informs how we love one another. It informs how we give so that we would edify the church and continue to advance the kingdom. Love is driving it because it is the Christian who understands what love is. Number two, sanctification. We see this, now we're in chapter nine. We see this in the first verse. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's what what, what God is saying through Paul, okay? It's not that the purpose of giving is that you would give so that you can get. That's, that's, that's one of the things we think about. That's one of the things that culturally we kind of embrace. That we give so that we can get something. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying, it's not that we give so we can get. It's that we give so that we can give more. That's what Paul is saying is that we give so that we can give more. Because when we give, we are being sanctified because we are growing in our obedience to Jesus, we are being made more like Jesus, and we are blessing others just like Jesus. When we give sacrificially, when we give generously, we are taking, oh, this is gonna sound contradicting, let me, let me back up. When we give sacrificially and when we give generously, we are responding as stewards rather than owners. You see, a steward is someone who has been given resources and gifts. They have been entrusted to use those gifts, to use those resources. And ownership thinks that those resources and gifts are theirs and theirs alone. Some of you operate as owners. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did. All right, great, so we're no different. But there's grace. There's grace. The steward understands that everything they have been given is a gift. And as a result of it being a gift, God uses that to bring grace to other people, to bring salvation to people you and I don't even know. He uses that. We need to understand that that part of our sanctification is growing as stewards, not as owners, but as stewards of all that God has given us. Because when we understand that we're stewards, we understand and we get to see some things that God is doing, and we're going to use it in the context of Storehouse McCallan. We get to see what God is doing through those resources, not just through those people, but through those resources and through those gifts. And so I just kind of want to blow you up a little bit, okay? In 2019, 
We saw through finances. That's what we're looking at today. When it came to finances, you helped support countless families, whether it was paying for monthly expenses, paying for medical bills, buying single parents groceries, taking care of childcare so that parents could get a break, funding adoption. You took care of that. Through your generosity, we were able to meet the needs of those in our family. And this is both in the context of groups and outside of the context of our groups. Through your generosity in 2019, we were able to do a couple of things, small but still good things for schools in our city. That when it came to Taylor Christian School on the south side, we were able to uh, supply school supplies. When it came to Brown Middle School, we were able to hook them up with dinner. When it came to Wilson Elementary, we just wanted to pray for the teachers because teachers are super tired and super busy and underpaid and we wanted to get them some really, really good coffee and just some time away from their students, and so we spent time praying with them. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. When it came to the ministry of church planting, you helped fund two church plants. You helped another church move into a building that they haven't had for over 10 years. You helped plant a church in Moreno Valley, California. Saints that you may never meet are, being, are, are growing in numbers. Saints that you may never meet are coming to know Jesus. Saints that you may never meet are hearing the gospel and responding. And the people in Moreno Valley are coming to know Jesus. When it comes to Southeast Austin, you help plant Refuge Community Church. Their first services launch in the next couple of weeks. They've been having interest uh, meetings. They've been growing. They have about a core team of about 25 people in this one section of Austin, Texas, where the gospel of Jesus is just completely dry. And so they're going into the heart of Southeast Texas or Southeast Austin, Texas, to plant Refuge Community Church. You met Josh Guerrero who is the planter. He was here this past summer preaching. You helped fund that. You helped move Christ Community Church of Denton, Texas, move out of a theater and into a brand new building that they can call their own, their home for the next couple of years. Yes, we're going to talk about money unapologetically, but it is so that we would advance missional and kingdom opportunities like this. It is so that we would uh, be able to fund our staff so that they can continue to serve the church. Because even though we have part-timers, they work more than just part-time. Giving is so that we would be sanctified. Pursuing, growing, and expanding missional efforts are a part of that sanctification. That sanctification, however, is the result of what grace in Christ has done for us first. It's not just because that's what churches do. It starts with the gospel. Number three, righteousness. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 10. And if you're like, hey, you skipped 8 and 9, we're, we're going to go back to them in a bit. Verses 9 and 10 the Apostle Paul is quoting uh, one of the psalmists, and so Paul says, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, I love this, he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your 
righteousness, okay? Here's what Paul is saying in these, in these two verses, right? And it's actually very interesting what he's saying. He is saying that as we plant and multiply our seed, right, our righteousness increases. Now, I want to talk about that because I, I really love this part, right? Here's the thing. God calls you and I to be righteous. However, you and I cannot be made righteous on our own. So there's some conflict going on there. You and I are called to be righteous, but you and I cannot be made righteous on our own. The only way that you and I can be made righteous is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's where it begins. So again, still not at the wallets. We're going all the way back to the gospel because it is the work of Jesus for us that informs what we do. And one of the works that Jesus does for us is that he imparts his righteousness into us. So the righteousness for you, Christian, that you are walking in is not one done by your merit. It's not one done by how many bills you have in your wallet. It is not one done on your own. The righteousness that you are walking in is one that has been imputed to you through Jesus dying on your behalf. And so that's how we're righteous. So righteousness begins with knowing who Jesus is first. Knowing who Jesus is. Right? And once we know who Jesus is, he uses redeemed people and their resources as instruments of his grace and salvation. If you don't believe me, rewind to what I just told you. Churches are being planted. Schools are being ministered to. Families within our family are being cared for. We're already thinking about planting in a city in the valley that I don't want to tell you yet because we're still praying about it, right? We're already looking to plant in another city and we're looking to start a church planting residency because we want people to go out equipped. Righteousness begins not with us, but in faith in Christ alone. Additionally, Paul says, and I love this part, this is toward the beginning of, of, I think this is verse 10, where he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed. Now, that sounds kind of, uh, you know, TV preachery, right? If you, like, just be honest, right? Like, if you would just send X amount of dollars, your seed would be planted and God will bless you. You've heard a message like that, whether it's been through social media uh, memes or it's actually been through videos where you've heard TV preachers or televangelists, that's what they're called, televangelists say stuff like, man, uh, this is the million dollar seed. If you send, if you send a gift of a thousand dollars to bless our ministry, God is going to have favor upon you and bless you. Uh, and if he doesn't, which they don't add, if he doesn't, then uh, you didn't give enough and you don't have enough faith. Faith. Right? Now, so you read 2 Corinthians 9 and you're just like, yeah, that language, is that where they get it? Look, check it. It is blasphemy. Thank you, Emma, right? Like, heresy always begins with a twisting of what Scripture says. That's, we've got to just start there, right? So it kind of sounds like it because that's what Paul says, right? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed. That sounds really good. However, <clears throat> that's not what he means in, sense, in the sense of like, send $1,000. Multiply your seed. That's not how much you're giving. That's the gospel. That's what it is. 
So Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest. That as you plant the gospel where you are, because that's where you have been sent, more and more missional opportunities are going to happen. Missional opportunities to proclaim and practice the gospel. What we talked about last week. God's redemptive purpose involves the faithful present and multiplication of his people where they are. Multiplying your seed and growing in your righteousness is pointing people to Jesus through proclamation and practice. So now when you hear that televangelist, you're like, no, I know what that means. Multiply your seed. That's not how much you're giving. That is the gospel itself. Number four, this is in verse 11. Number four would be thanksgiving. Verse 11, Paul says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Now again, that sounds like, I mean, it sounds really good, right? But it's kind of one of those like, yeah, but read the the whole thing, right? If I could offer you one piece of advice, let's go on a a 10 second tangent, right? Um, you know, realtors, like the philosophy for realtors is uh, location, location, location. Okay, when you're studying scripture, right, context, context, context. Okay, there you go. Boom. Didn't have to go to seminary for that. Here we go. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so again, he's talking to the Corinthians about how they're about to and how they have already supported other churches and how they have been supported. And so what he's saying is through your generosity, it's going to lead to thanksgiving. That's, that's really opposite of some other like heretical and televangelist type of things, right? Because it's always like, if you give, then you're going to be blessed and God's going to have favor on you. And Paul's saying, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's going to turn into thanksgiving to God. I mean, that's essentially what he is saying. When we give generously and increase in our thanksgiving to God, or excuse me, when we give generously, we increase in our thanksgiving to God. Why? Because giving generously begins with the gospel's act of grace for us. Like the standard of generosity is God on the cross in place of sinners. That's the standard of generosity. The opposite of that would be entitlement. And again, if you are the individual with a hardened heart, with one who is uh, prideful about uh, what it means to give and what it looks like to give, then, then again, if your gospel does not begin with an act of grace, then that's not the gospel of Jesus that you're preaching. Because what Paul is telling us is that the gospel's act of grace leads us back to thanksgiving to God. And that those who receive the funds, looking at the context, a church is about to receive the Corinthians funds. Those who receive the funds are going to be pointed not to the Corinthians, but to God. So that they would give thanksgiving to God. So that they would praise God. And so that they would use those funds to what? Multiply their presence where they are. It leads to thanksgiving. Number five, it leads to worship. And you can maybe couple Thanksgiving and worship. Look at 14 and 15. Paul says, better yet, let's go to verse 13. So 13 through 15 is what Paul says. 
by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. So what is he saying? Man, they're going to receive these funds and they're going to glorify God. Because of why? Right? That's very valid, right? But why? Right? Because of your, so he's talking back to the Corinthians, because of your submission that comes from what? Your confession of the gospel of Christ. Generosity begins there. That's where it begins. And he goes on to say, and the generosity of your contribution, so the actual funds for them and for all others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The inexpressible gift isn't just the funds that they're about to receive. The inexpressible gift is the gospel of grace. That this act of grace in Christ for sinners has led them to a place of thanksgiving, has led them to a place of embracing the gospel themselves, and as they have embraced the gospel, they send out gifts and resources and people to fund other churches, to fund other saints whom they may never even come to know. And for the purpose of what? Paul says it in verse 13. So that they would glorify God. Why? Because you understand the gospel of Jesus. You have confessed and submitted to the gospel of Jesus. So those uh, would be your five marks of motivation, right? Quick recap, genuine love is the Christian who understands love. Number two, it would be sanctification that we would grow in our obedience to Jesus in our righteousness, right? But that we could only be made right before God through faith in Christ alone. So we got to start there. Uh, Number four, thanksgiving. All right, uh, we are thankful because it, it, it all starts with the gospel's act of grace for us, and then finally worship. Right, that we have not only confessed, but that we worship God, and so as a result, we're able to do these things. You could say it this way: that at the root of our giving lies joy, thanksgiving, and compassion. Right, that joy is contentment. That is a lifestyle that we live. It's not an emotion. It is a lifestyle that we live. And compassion. Compassion is where we see the need, where we feel the need, and then we actually meet the need, right? My, my favorite application of compassion is in, is in Mark 6. Jesus has had a really, really long day. He's really tired. Uh, his cousin John the Baptist had just been beheaded. He had just gotten the news, and he's coming off of the boat, and this crowd of people rush to him. And uh, in Mark 6, Uh, Mark records that Jesus saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he saw the need, he felt the need, and then he met the need. In Luke's account, it says that he stayed with them, he prayed with them, and he taught them. That's compassion. Was it super inconvenient? It was. Because even the disciples were like, hey man, why don't we just send them home, and then tomorrow morning we'll take care of this. And Jesus tells them, you can go, I'm going to stay. Right? Right? Yeah, it's going to cost you. Absolutely. It is going to be sacrificial. Giving, giving generously does imply giving sacrificially, and we're going to look at the means of that, but it does imply giving sacrificially. However, it doesn't begin with the wallet. It begins with the belief in the gospel. So, last part, the means of generosity. In other words, we're answering the question, well, then how do we give generously? Since you asked, let me tell you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So we're going to go back to it. This is how we ought to give. This is what he says, verse 7. 
each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Here's the key, I think. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So you are going to think about it. Some, one of the questions, one of the most common questions that we get is, right, I get all that, give cheerfully, what, what's the number? All right? <laughs> so since you asked, might as well, right? The first thing I'll say is if you're giving, the question isn't how much. The qu- first question I would have for you isn't how much. The first question I would have for you is, is it sacrificial? And if you're like, well, what does sacrificial mean? Just listen to the rest of the sermon, everything that we just walked through, okay? That would probably be my first question. Is it sacrificial? Some people ask about the 10%. I think it's a wonderful baseline. It's great. But here's the thing. Many can give more. Many, I'm not, and I don't know who. Here's the other thing. I don't, I don't check giving. I don't check on anybody, right? When it comes to, let's say, 10%, some people want to give 10%, because that's a number, that's a standard, right? In that case, I would point back to verse 7, where he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Like, if you just want a number, I'm not so sure I could give you that. But it's got to be sacrificial and not reluctant or under compulsion. Well, I just want a number. See question number one, is it sacrificial? Like, we can go back and forth all day long because for some, sacrificial might be a lot more than 10%. Again, again, I can't give you that number, but I'm looking at each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So we're looking at sacrifice and we're looking at generosity, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This also includes people who give uh, just because, like, yeah, I get it, we're supposed to give. Like, I guess, thanks for the donation, but at the same time, your heart's not right with God, and I want to talk about that more. Right? Or like, you get super defensive when this topic does come up. Okay, let's talk about your heart. What else is pulling your heart now? Giving cheerfully is an expression of contentment in God's grace. Giving generously is grace-centered. And so it takes us all the way back up to what giving generously is. Giving generously is an act of grace. Some of you want to negotiate and kind of go around certain things. And it's not even about the number. It's about your poor and immature understanding of grace. That's what it's about. Some of you want to negotiate. Some of you want to go around, I guess, whatever barriers you may think there are. But the truth, at the end of the day, it's a poor understanding of the work of Jesus for you. Right? And so here would be my final exhortation. It's one of repentance, one of encouragement. When it comes to the one of repentance, here's here's how I would encourage you. I would encourage you by examining the condition of your heart and how you actually view the gospel. Remember, I'm going to keep saying it. 
It doesn't start with the wallet. It starts with your belief in the gospel. That is the work of God in Christ for you. Examine the condition of your heart and examine how you truly view the gospel because how you truly view the gospel will inform your giving. And if your heart is hardened, if your heart is bitter, let me encourage you to repent. Man, repent of your sin. Put that to death and place your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus. Number, number two, still under repentance, that if you're not giving, that if you're not giving at all, you are in disobedience to the Lord. You are, we could look at practical things. I don't think that's what I want to touch on right now. I just want to touch on your relationship with God. I want to look at your relationship with Christ. That if you're not giving at all, repent. Something else is pulling your heartstrings. Maybe you're operating as an owner and not a steward. Maybe you think, oh, it's enough. They got some nice chairs. Right, bro. Whatever. If you're not giving at all, repent. That if you are giving, but you're giving reluctantly or you're giving under compulsion, here's what I would be saying. You are actually withholding grace from others. You are hindering your sanctification. You hinder the mission of the church. And what's the mission of the church? To make disciples. So repent of you withholding grace. You're that individual that doesn't have an understanding of the work of God in Christ for you. Repent. The next one, if you find yourself in debt, like colossal debt, it's going to sound bad, but I'm going to transition out of this, right? If you're in debt, number one, have you repented for spending some of that money foolishly? How about we start there, all right? You didn't know I was going to go there, right? Like if you had spent a lot of money foolishly, like just for lack of a better way of saying it, like made just some stupid purchases, right? Maybe you're spending some of that 1400 but you only make like 1500 a month, right? Like that's a, that's a dumb use the way you use your money, right? Like have you repented for how you've poorly used those funds, okay? If you haven't, start there. Start there. And then here's how I'll transition, right? That if you need help, if you find yourself in debt and you're like, man, budgeting is hard and I don't know how to do this, ask. Like, I'd love to sit down with your numbers. I love doing that. Doesn't mean everybody does what I suggest, but I love sitting down and like coming up with spreadsheets. You could ask my wife. I've color-coded our spreadsheet on how much money is for the house, how much money is for these bills, what we're going to do for my dumb books, right? Like all of this stuff, right? Like I'll, I'll help you out with the spreadsheet. And if I got too many spreadsheets to make, I'll point you to other people who are really good at spreadsheets here at Storehouse. Like, let's start helping you save some money, right? Let's start helping you uh, spend wisely. Let's start helping you actually giving sacrificially. And it's going to require some work. Yeah, man. But on top of that, if you are giving generously or if you have been giving generously, that thank you. Just that. Just thank you. Praise God for you. I want to be like you when I grow up. Like, thank you. 
so much. Thank you so much for not just your contribution, but man, just jumping on mission so that we would see the gospel affect McAllen. And if, uh, if you're not a Christian, and you're here and you're like, what are you going to tell me? Right? Here's what I would say. I don't want your money. Don't give. Don't give. Right? I'm just glad that you're here. I'm just glad that you're here. Here's what I would tell you. The gospel is the work of God's grace for sinners. And he invites you to know him. Not some sort of transaction, but transformation. You get a new heart and a new mind. That's what he is inviting you to. And so as we close our time, we give to combat idolatry. We give in response to the work of Jesus. We give to worship Jesus. We give to obey Jesus. We give to be made like Jesus. We give to bless others with grace like Jesus. We give for the glory of Jesus and not our own. And so when you give, not if, but when you give, don't, here, just don't look into your heart. Look to Jesus. The heart's an idol factory. That's what we're trying to fight against right now. So don't look in your heart. Look to Jesus. Be satisfied in Jesus. Give generously because it does not begin with your wallet, but belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, as we close this time of the preached word, man, I I just want to say sometimes when we talk about giving, it's really hard because uh, it's not exactly really popular. It's not exactly something we always want to talk about. But Lord, uh, you talk about it, right? Jesus, you talk about it uh, more than anyone else. And in part, you talk about it because it gives or it directs this access to our hearts and what really is going on. Because the problem isn't, it's not money. It's, it's our understanding of love. Our problem is not money. It's, it's the condition of our hearts. Lord, the, the problem isn't money. It's that we worship idols. And, and I think we can go on and on and talk about how the culture preaches Uh, us to be consumers and buy this and buy that. And that is true. The culture is very, very loud. But what is also true is how we spend our money and what we believe about what you have done for us in Christ. So God, let us not make excuses for how we view our money. Let us take ownership of our sin. And God, would you meet us in, in confession where we, where we acknowledge our sin and would you meet us in repentance where you demonstrate that grace is our option and in grace we would be made more like Jesus. That in grace we would be forgiven. That in grace we would be transformed. In grace we realize, we recognize that you are God and we are not. but by your mercy and your goodness and your kindness, you bring us along for the ride so that we would see your grace planted in the lives of others, 
so that we would see salvation and other people so that they would proclaim your grace. God, convict us this morning of our, of our misunderstanding, of our immature understanding, of our bitter understanding of grace. And would you convict us and comfort us with your grace. God, your, your word says um, that, that it is actually your word that penetrates through bone and marrow and exposes the intentions of our heart. Would you do that this morning so that we would uh, repent of our sin, see that grace is our only hope, and fix our eyes on Jesus as we move forward? God, may we be a generous church in McAllen for the purpose of making disciples that hold fast to the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We're going to transition this time into tithes and offering. And so Holy Spirit, please don't, don't, don't stop that work. Keep working in our hearts. May this time of, of tithe and offering not just be worship, but may it be a demonstration of your work in us and through us. And may these tithes and offerings be, be a sacrifice because it is the Christian who understands what sacrifice is. It is the Christian who understands what love actually is. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.